You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for spaghetti with broccoli cream pesto. Yum. Surely you don't think I was going to stop my hasty populating the broccoli archives with just one new recipe, right? I mean, sure, the slaw is a star. The fritters were great. But when your kid likes broccoli, you always will be on the hunt for new and more advanced methods of broccoli implementation. These days, I'll read a recipe for a cauliflower dish in a magazine, and I think, you know, broccoli would work here. I had a watercress salad at a restaurant in which the finest dusting of flavorful breadcrumbs clung to every leaf, and I thought, broccoli. I roasted potatoes with garlic and a little lemon zest and kicked myself. I should have included broccoli. I guess you could argue that the obsession has spun off its toddler access and landed squarely on the mama ship. All these things happen, they happen. And who am I to find the, fight the broccoli love? I mean, I started making this, well, I'm going to call it a pesto, but it's less a pounded mixture of raw herbs, garlic, and cheese, and more a tender broccoli sauce. But anyway, I started making it over the summer. I was loosely inspired by this dish that I saw on the most stunning blog, one that is in fact dangerous for me to look at because I immediately start to question everything. Why don't we live in the French countryside? Why haven't I ever biked home with a cluster of warm-from-the-oven baguettes prepared in the ancient style in my wicker basket? Why don't I have any heliculturalist, escargot farmers, of course, for neighbors, and why don't those yelling people down the hall, my actual neighbors, ever bring me freshly dug morels? Alex, are you reading along right now? Honey, why don't we have 14 dogs? It's gotten to the point where I greet a new post on the blog by peeking nervously through my fingers the way you would when watching a scary movie, because I'm so terrified that it will be the post that breaks my will to live a single moment longer as we previously happily did, that all there will be left to do is pack this place up and holler, thanks anyway for the morels, at the yelling neighbor's door as we head for the stairs, street, taxi, airport, new life, one with backyard plum trees. <laughs> All right, maybe I got a little carried away. We were talking about broccoli pesto, yes? I make this with steamed broccoli, a bit of onion, and garlic cooked until sweet in butter, and a drizzle of heavy cream. I then blend this mixture until it's chopped finely enough to be sauce-like, and then I toss it with pasta and some of its reserved cooking water. The Parmesan comes at the end, and you should shower the whole bowl with it. It is the seasoning, punch, and highlight of the dish. This preparation is mellow and wonderful and total toddler bait around here, which means that it's parent delighting bait because I know that the dish is matched ounce for ounce in pasta and broccoli. Oh, and you know, grown-ups don't mind it much either, but with us in mind, I'd use more garlic and a bit of red pepper flakes, too. And we'd eat it with wine. And we'd watch out the window as the yellowing leaves whoosh down the busy avenue below, 
and at least briefly put thoughts of other idols aside. Here's the recipe, spaghetti with broccoli cream pesto. Note, the sauce is gluten-free and could be used with a gluten-free pasta. You're going to need one half pound of broccoli, one half pound of dried spaghetti, one tablespoon of unsalted butter, one tablespoon of olive oil, one half of a small onion, finely chopped, one clove of garlic, minced, or more to taste, one half teaspoon table salt, freshly ground black pepper, or pinches of red pepper flakes, four tablespoons of heavy cream, and a heap of grated Parmesan, about a half a cup to serve. Bring a large pot of salted water to boil for your pasta. Remove the broccoli florets from stems and chop into medium florets. Peel the stems with a vegetable peeler. I do this so that they quickly cook, plus I prefer their taste without the tough stem skin. And then I slice them into one half inch segments. Use your pot of future pasta water to steam by suspending a mesh strainer over your pasta pot and covering it with a lid for five to six minutes or parboil for three to five minutes your broccoli florets and stems just until tender and then drain if needed and set them aside. Add pasta to the water and cook until al dente or about one minute less than fully cooked. Before draining the pasta, reserve a cup of pasta water of the pasta cooking water and set it aside and then drain the pasta. Wipe out the pot so that you can use it again and in the bottom of the pot melt butter and olive oil over medium heat. Add onion and reduce to medium low sauteing it until tender about seven minutes. Add garlic and cook for another two minutes. Add steamed broccoli, salt and red or black pepper and turn the heat back up to medium high Cooking it with the onion and garlic for a few additional minutes. Pour the cream over the mixture and let it cook for 30 seconds. Transfer the broccoli mixture and all of its creamy bits at the bottom of the pan to a blender or a food processor and blend in short bursts until it's finely chopped and a little bit like sauce. Don't worry if it looks dry. That reserved pasta water will give it the sauciness that it needs in just a minute. Theoretically, one could also use an immersion blender here inside their pot to make the broccoli sauce, but it might be a bit messy with all of the chunks and small bits. Add the broccoli sauce back to the pot with the drained spaghetti and a splash or two of the reserved pasta water. Cook over medium-high for one to two minutes, tossing the mixture so that it evenly coats. Add more pasta water as needed to loosen the sauce and then adjust the seasonings to taste adding more salt or pepper, and scoop into a serving bowl. Shower the spaghetti with grated Parmesan and dig in. As far as doing ahead, I make a large batch of the sauce and I keep it in the fridge for several days, boiling a little pasta each day for lunch when I make it for Jacob. Our next recipe is my favorite because it reminds me of my mom. Classic grilled cheese and cream of tomato soup. I don't know about you, but when I arrived at work yesterday, I had both the appearance and seething demeanor of a wet cat. I don't know what exactly the point of carrying my green flowered umbrella was, if to get utter utterly soaked just the same, making my way through two phone calls irked by a lingering unpleasant zoo-like scent that turned out to be emanating from my sopping wool pants. Yick. 
after work drink thing, canceled, pedicure, canceled, tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, it was so on. It's funny, you know, when I talk about these classic homey foods, these best childhood memory meals, as I must confess that they're not mine. We ate grilled cheese, but never tomato soup. We loved mac and cheese, but all I ever wanted was, of course, craft. I believe I had Campbell's tomato soup a few times at friends' homes, but never thought it was anything to write home about, as well as more than my share of tomato bisques at restaurants. But too often they reminded me of pasta sauces, excessive at even a cup at a time. But with times as appropriate as this long, wet winter ahead and sources as good as, yet again, the America's Test Kitchen cookbook, it seems as good as any time to start making your own because these recipes are keepers. This time, Cook's Illustrated crew was searching for a, quote, perfectly smooth soup with rich color and great tomato flavor, end quote, and I enthusiastically applaud their efforts. This soup is fantastically rich in flavor, a whole lot more than you'd expect from your typical puddle of orange. More impressive is how they coaxed that flavor from something as everyday as canned tomatoes. The roasting step brings out their boldest intent, and the caramelizing of the shallots and the butter is reminiscent of the dreamy base of French onion soup. You can use nearly every part of those canned tomatoes, which I love, because why dump that liquid carted over here from San Marzano? It's the least you owe your food miles. I'm sure that tomato soups can be made with far fewer steps and admit to tossing the directions to the wind in step number three, but I doubt they're as layered in complexity as this deceivingly simple-looking one. Now, the grilled cheese would have been better had I followed the recipe more closely. I cut my bread um, class from class rustic white loaf too thick and I spread the cheese too thin but neither of us complained. My classic Deb grilled sandwich is Emmenthal or Gruyere, a couple of leaves of arugula, a slice of tomato, salt and pepper on bread grilled on a panini. But something as humble and unassuming as smooth tomato soup seems no place for such fancy. We had the soup and sandwiches ready just in the nick of time as the opening scene of Lost was already rolling, and OMG, I don't want to ruin the rest. Warmed, full, dry, and rested at last, it was an excellent Wednesday night. Here's the recipe for cream of tomato soup. Serves six to eight, takes about one hour. Source, the America's Test Kitchen Cookbook. This is a classic tomato soup reminiscent of the canned tomato soup so famous, Andy Warhol turned it into an iconic American art piece, but so much better. The tomato roasted step will seem bizarre, but it adds a depth and complexity to canned tomatoes that makes this soup incredible. You're going to need two 28-ounce cans of whole tomatoes packed in juice, one and a half tablespoons of dark brown butter, four tablespoons of unsalted butter, four large shallots, minced, that's about one half cup, one tablespoon of tomato paste, pinch of ground allspice, two tablespoons of all-purpose flour, one and three-quarters cups of vegetable or chicken stock, one half cup of heavy cream, two tablespoons of brandy or dry sherry, this is optional, and salt and cayenne pepper. 
You're going to heat the oven to 450 degrees Fahrenheit, line the rimmed baking sheet with foil, place a strainer over a large bowl, and open the first can of tomatoes into it. With fingers, carefully open whole tomatoes and push out the seeds, allowing juices to fall through the strainer into the bowl. Spread seeded tomatoes in single layer on the foil and repeat with a second can of tomatoes. Sprinkle tomatoes on roasting pan evenly with brown sugar and bake until all liquid has evaporated and tomatoes begin to color. Although I usually get just a hint of color at most and that's going to take about 30 minutes. Let tomatoes cool slightly while you work on the rest of the soup. Heat the butter over medium heat in a large saucepan until foaming. Add shallots, tomato paste, and allspice. Reduce heat to low, cover, and cook, stirring occasionally until the shallots are softened, about 7 to 10 minutes. Add flour and cook, stirring constantly until thoroughly combined, about 30 seconds. Gradually add vegetable or chicken stock, whisking constantly to combine, and stir in reserve tomato juice. Gently peel the roasted tomatoes from the foil and add them to the pot. Cover and increase the heat to medium and bring to a boil. Reduce the heat to low and simmer, stirring occasionally to blend the flavors, about 10 minutes. Off the heat, use an immersion blender to puree the soup until it's smooth. Add cream. I often start with just a quarter cup and adding the last quarter cup, if we wish, drizzled over serving bowls. Warm over low heat until hot, about three minutes. Off the heat, stir in brandy and season with salt and cayenne and serve immediately. As far as doing ahead, soup can be refrigerated in an airtight container for up to two days. Warm over low heat until hot, but do not boil. Now for the classic grilled cheese, this serves makes two sandwiches, takes 10 minutes, and the source is the America's Test Kitchen Cookbook. So if you want to shake up your grilled cheese a little, these Frico grilled cheese sandwiches are awesome here too, and there's a link at smittenkitchen.com. For this one, you'll need three ounces of cheese, preferably cheddar, but a combination of cheese will work too. Coarsely grated, about three quarters of a cup. You're going to need four slices, about a half inch thick, from a white sandwich bread. ATK likes Pepperidge Farm Toasting White. Uh, two tablespoons of butter, preferably salted, melted. Heat a heavy 12-inch skillet over low to medium-low heat. Meanwhile, sprinkle a portion of cheese over two bread slices. Top each with a remaining bread slice, pressing down gently to set. Brush the sandwich tops completely with half of the melted butter and place each sandwich buttered side down in the skillet. Brush the remaining side of each sandwich completely with the remaining butter. Cook until crisp and deep golden brown, five to 10 minutes per side, flipping sandwiches back to the first side to reheat and crisp for about 15 seconds, and then serve immediately. It sounds absolutely lovely. Next, we've got a recipe for bacon, egg, and leek risotto. Okay, it's a little bit weird, but it looks pretty, and I'm always open to new things. Seeing as I once argued that rice pudding should be breakfast food, what? Grains, milk, a bit of sugar, sometimes berries, just like oatmeal. It shouldn't be any surprise that I'm now wondering if risotto could also be welcome in the earliest parts of the day. I mean, what if it contained bacon and eggs? 
What if I warn you that if you start making risotto with leeks and bacon and finish it with a fried egg, that you might not be able to get go back to eating it another way? You didn't say I didn't give you a heads up. I got the inspiration for breakfast risotto from an article that I saw a few months back. Okay, it was many months, but every time I was about to make it, I found something better to do, like, I don't know, flossing or chasing my toddler around the apartment with a comb, trying to explain that he would one day thank me for not letting him leave the house, looking like an unkempt Muppet. Eventually, I had to admit that risotto, while lovely to eat when someone else makes it, is hardly my favorite way to dirty pots and pans. It's the stirring and also the starchiness. It's the sleepiness of the usual inclusions, maybe mushrooms, asparagus, and other delicately-minded green things. And that always requires that you make something else, maybe a salad or a protein, and that will make it seem more of a balanced meal. Risotto, it is awfully demanding. Which is all the more reason that the risotto approximation of breakfast, replete with bacon, runny eggs, cheese, and links, leeks, sorry, is nothing short of brilliant. Of course, with my put-an-egg-on-it approach to turning anything, I don't know, fried rice, check, bean stew, check, into a meal, you probably already know that this isn't just, couldn't just, this needn't be just breakfast, or even lunch. It was, in fact, dinner for us the other night, the most luxurious one before we all hopped on a plane for a week on the beach, which I'm looking at now from a balcony while the other two-thirds of my little family snore the afternoon away all gritty toes and freckled noses. It's not at all hard to get used to. Here's the recipe for bacon, egg, and leek risotto. I call it breakfast risotto. This serves um, six small or four large servings, takes one hour, including the prep, and source right here, Smitten Kitchen. This recipe was lightly refreshed in 2023. The changes up to two cups more broth as I often needed it. And there's no need to separately warm your broth for the stovetop directions. The onions and leeks now cook together and stay in the pan the whole time. The butter is added in two parts, some for cooking, some to finish. And finally, I've added oven directions as I love how hands-off and easy it is. You'll need one cup or four ounces of bacon or pancetta diced. One tablespoon of olive oil, three tablespoons of unsalted butter, divided, plus more to fry eggs, two large or three smaller leeks quartered lengthwise, cleaned of grit and chopped small, one half small onion or one large shallot finely chopped, two cups of arborio carnaroli or other short-grained Italian rice, one third cup of dry white wine or vermouth, six to eight cups of low sodium chicken stock or vegetable broth, one cup of grated fresh Parmesan cheese, plus extra to finish, salt and freshly ground black pepper, and four to six large eggs that you will want to have one egg per serving, and minced fresh chives for garnish. This is optional. If you plan to follow the directions, heat your oven now to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. So both methods begin on the stove. Place your bacon or pancetta in a medium saucepan or deep saute pan, like a three to four quart size, and turn the heat to medium high. 
Cook until the bacon or pancetta renders its fat and crisps about five minutes, stirring as needed for even cooking. Remove with a slotted spoon to a towel-lined plate and set aside, leaving drippings in the pan. Reduce heat to medium and add one tablespoon of olive oil and one tablespoon of the butter to the bacon fat and heat until melted. Add leeks and onion and cook, stirring until softened and mostly tender, about 7 to 10 minutes. Add rice and cook saute until slightly toasted, about 3 minutes. Add wine or vermouth and cook until it almost disappears, about 2 minutes. To finish on the stove, you're going to ladle 1 cup of broth into the rice mixture and simmer it until it absorbs, stirring frequently. Add the remaining broth one quarter cup at a time, allowing the broth to be absorbed before adding more and stirring frequently until the rice is al dente, about 25 to 30 minutes. What you're looking for is a well and well-cooked risotto is a creamy but loose dish. When ladled onto a plate, it should spill into a thick puddle and not heap in a mound. You might need an extra splash of broth to loosen it, and when you achieve your desired texture and tenderness, Stir in the remaining two tablespoons of butter and one cup of Parmesan cheese. Season with salt and pepper to taste. Ladle into serving bowls and sprinkle with crisp bacon or pancetta. To finish in the oven, you're going to add six cups of the broth to the rice mixture and turn the heat to high to bring to a simmer. Once simmering, cover with a lid or a foil if you don't have a lid and transfer to the oven. Bake the risotto in the oven for 20 to 25 minutes or until most of the liquid is absorbed, but it looks a teeny bit watery. If the mixture looks dry once the rice is cooked, add more broth, one quarter cup at a time, stirring to combine. What you're looking for is well cooked in well-cooked risotto is a creamy but loose dish. When ladled onto a plate, it should spill into a thick puddle, not heap in a mound. So when you achieve your desired texture and tenderness, stir in the remaining two tablespoons of butter and one cup of Parmesan cheese. Season with salt and pepper to taste and ladle into serving bowls and sprinkle with crisp bacon or pancetta. For both methods, uh, you're going to quickly, after the previous step, in a small skillet, heat a pat of butter over medium-high and swirl it to coat the pan. Crack one egg into the skillet season with salt and pepper and reduce the heat to medium. I like to cover the skillet with a small lid at this point as it seems to help the egg cook faster and more evenly. In one minute you should have a perfectly sunny side up egg. Transfer to your first bowl of risotto and repeat with the remaining eggs and garnish each with an extra bit of grated parmesan, chives if using, and eat immediately. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.